Ephesians 5:15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we do love you. We do adore you because you first loved us. You, Father, because of your great mercy, sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins and to be buried and to be raised again to life so that now whoever believes in him would have eternal life and not face the condemnation of God. Father, we love you because you first loved us. You poured your mercy out on us in Christ, and how we praise you for that. Oh, Father, as Buster was sharing, I was remembering too who I was before I was in Christ and who you have made me to be now. And I am deeply grateful and humbled for all that you have done for me. And I'm sure that many of us feel the same way this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you And we pray that you would increase in us the sight of what you've done, that you might also increase in us the thankfulness in our hearts for what you have done. Oh God, cause us to love you more this week, I pray. Cause us to love you more this very morning. God, I prayed a couple times this morning that you would open our eyes like you opened Stephen's eyes when he was before the Sanhedrin and you allowed him to see a glimpse of Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the majesty of God. Oh, please grant us this, Jesus. We don't need to play church this morning, Lord. We don't need to just be with one another in a social kind of way as though we were a part of a lion's club or something like that. We need to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So please help us. Please grant us this, God. Everything else can go wrong this morning. That's fine with me. But please, let this one thing go right. Let us see you, Jesus. Let us experience you today. We are desperate for you, Lord. We need you. And we trust in you. And so right now... We renounce trust in everything else and we put all of our trust in You. I put my trust in You, Father, as I speak the words of God, as it were. And I pray that my words would be pleasing to You and that the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to You. That You would feed us and lead us this morning by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit. It is in the great and mighty and matchless and merciful name of Jesus Christ that we pray all these things. Amen. Well, we have been talking about Thanksgiving for the last couple of weeks because of what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. He says, Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so far, we've learned two main lessons that I really hope will stick with us over time. The first lesson is that there is an intimate relationship between thanksgiving and worship in the Bible. 98% of the time that the words for thanksgiving appear in the Bible, worship is the direct context. 
And so it's crucial for us to begin seeing worship or thanksgiving not just as a peripheral part of life in Christ, but as a central part of life in Christ. To give thanks to God is to worship God, and to fail to give Him thanks is to fail to worship Him. So, for the sake of His name, let us learn to be a thankful people. Let us learn to offer Him thanks at all times and in all seasons for the glory of His name and the good of our souls. The second main lesson that we've learned in these couple of sermons is that the biblical pattern of thanksgiving is to offer thanksgiving to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. As I said, it is no sin to give thanks to the Holy Spirit or to give thanks to Jesus. I do it all the time, every day of my life. But the normative pattern is to give thanks to the Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this lesson is is very crucial to learn for a couple of reasons. First of all, because God is infinitely holy, there is no way for us who are quite a bit less than holy to approach Him except through Jesus Christ. There's only one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. Here's what He said in Matthew 11.27. Jesus said, All things have been handed over to Me by My Father. All things have been handed to the Son by the Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. There is no way to know the Father, much less to give Him thanks in a way that's pleasing to Him, except through Jesus Christ. There is one way to God, and that one way is named Jesus Christ. That's why He said in John 14.6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Me. And so, the biblical pattern of thanksgiving is of necessity to the Father through the Son. There's only one way to Him and only one way to give thanks to Him that is pleasing and acceptable, and that's through Jesus Christ. The second reason that this pattern of to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit is so crucial is because none of us has the power in ourselves to do what God is calling us to do here, right? There's not one of us that is able in ourselves to give thanks to God always and for everything. It is impossible with us. And unless we lean on the Holy Spirit, it will always be impossible with us. Forever be impossible with us. We either lean on Him or we fail. Those are the only choices that we have. God has made us profoundly dependent beings. And as we learn to humble ourselves and depend upon the Holy Spirit who makes the impossible possible, well then day by day we're changed from one degree of glory to another until that day when God our Father calls us home and unveils our eyes and allows us to see His glory in the face of Jesus Christ and at the sight of Him transforms us from the inside out and we become like Him who saved us. And in that day, we will literally give thanks to Him always and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In that day, we will literally give thanks to God as often as we breathe. Brothers and sisters, I promise you in heaven, you will be a fountain of thanksgiving to God. This is your destiny in Christ, to give Him thanks always and for everything. But we must lean on the Holy Spirit. There's only one way that that reality will happen. And that is 
giving thanks to the Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's really hard for me to overestimate how important these lessons are. That to give thanks to God is to worship God. And in order to worship God like that, we must come to Him through Christ by the power of the Spirit. There is no other way. And how I pray that these lessons will root deeply into the hearts of those of us who make up glory of Christ. I was thinking this week of lessons that I learned in sermons 20 years ago that I could still articulate to you word for word because Jesus was pleased to root it deeply in my heart. And it's taken root in my life, and I pray that that will happen to us about Thanksgiving. I pray that we will see the exalted place that Thanksgiving has and the exalted place that Jesus has in that whole thing. Now for today, I want to wrap up the discussion on Thanksgiving by sharing with you four more things that are on my heart to say about this verse. They're pretty much all related to one another. Number one, the command in Ephesians 5.20 is to give thanks to God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what I want to emphasize first is those words, to God, to God. It is a good thing, it is the right thing, it is a healthy thing to give thanks to other people and to give thanks in a general way. But what the Bible is commanding of us here is that we offer thanks to God. And in fact... Every single time the Bible commands us to give thanks, it commands us to direct that thanks to God. Every time. The Bible does not one single time command you to give thanks to other people. Or to give thanks in a generalized way. But 23 times the Bible commands you, give thanks to the Lord. To the Lord. This is thanks being offered to God. I heard some years ago, probably eight or ten years ago now, that at the end of every day, Oprah Winfrey opens up her journal and writes down five things for which she's thankful that day. And from what I hear, the reason she does that is to breed in her a spirit of optimism and gratefulness and to deny herself pessimism and ungratefulness and all that kind of thing. And like Oprah, there are millions and millions of people who seek to give thanks in a generalized kind of way, almost in a psychological kind of a way. But that is not what the Bible is calling for us to do here. Not even close. The kind of thanksgiving that the Bible is calling us to render is thanksgiving to God. Not just in general. Please don't miss this. Thanksgiving to God. Because He is God. He is the Creator. He is the Sustainer of all things. He is the Provider of all things. He is great and glorious, and mighty, and beautiful, and worthy of praise. And therefore, He deserves to be thanked forever. As often as God is worthy, He ought to be thanked. And since He's always worthy, He ought always to be thanked. Because He's great and gracious and provides all of our needs, we are commanded to give our thanks to God. To God. Let's be really, really clear about that. The Bible is not playing psychological games with us here and just saying, you know, be thankful people because you'll be happier, you'll be more optimistic, all these things. No, it's saying, lift your eyes up, gaze upon the beauty of Jesus, see His mercy in everything, and give Him thanks for everything. Now, as we learn to do that, I do believe that over time, it will breed in us a general attitude of thanksgiving. I do think that will happen. And it will overflow from us in thankfulness to other people. That will happen. Here's what the Apostle John said in 1 John 4, 20-21. If anyone says, I love God, and yet he hates his brother, 
He is a liar. For the one who, or he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So one way we demonstrate love is by giving thanks where thanks is due, right? And so one way that we overflow in love from God is to give thanks to other people. It just makes no sense to say that what the vision of God is, is that we be thankful to Him and not be thankful to other people. Let me just give you a quick example. Suppose I come home after a long day, Kim has been gracious to cook a meal for me, and I say to her, Honey, to be honest with you, I'm thankful to God for the food, but I'm not thankful to you for cooking it. Now that's, that's not wise, and it's not safe for a husband to say that to a wife, right? That'd be a dangerous thing to say. And much more importantly, it's absurd. It's totally absurd to think about offering love to God without offering love to people. There is an inseparable relationship between our love for God and our love for other people. But, but here's the deal. There's a divine order to it. There's a divine order. First, we offer love to God. Then we offer love to other people. First, we give thanks to God. And then we render thanks to other people. And when that order gets out of whack, what ends up happening is we live like practical atheists. No matter what we believe. Because even though we see worth in things and in people, like Oprah Winfrey, she sees a kind of worth in stuff. But she ignores the God who created it all and provided it all. And so she lives like an atheist, no matter what she believes. And we too can do that. If we focus on other people and forget to give thanks first, primarily to God, we live like atheists. This is why Jesus said, when He was asked, Lord, what's the most important commandment in all the Bible? Which is another way of asking, what's the most important thing in the universe? What's the most important thing about life? And what was His answer? Twofold. He said, first and foremost, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then, second, love your neighbor as yourself. We have to love our neighbors in order to demonstrate that our love for God is real, right? That's what John said here. If you don't love other people and you claim to love God, there's one thing we know about you for sure. You're a liar and you're not in God. So we must love others to demonstrate our love for God. But... We must first love God in order to get all the resources we need to love other people. The well from which we draw to love other people is loving God. And if we fail to love God, friend, your tank will just run out. It will just flat run out. Jesus is really wise. And there's a reason why He put things in the order He did. First love God, then love other people. First render thanks to God. It will overflow eventually in thanks for other people. The other day, Steve Shepard and I went to Perkins restaurant to talk about our ministries and, and to rejoice in the Lord together. And after we had breakfast, I was driving home and I got to thinking, I wonder how a Christian should, practically speaking, go about obeying this command to give thanks to God in practical everyday things like just going to Perkins or just going to the gas station or going to Cub or going to work or going to the park or playing at home. How, how do you do it? What's it look like? What's it practically turn out to be like? So I, I began by thinking to myself, well, you'd have to pray for eyes to see things for which to be thankful, right? You'd have to start there. Because I can't give thanks for something that I don't see, right? I mean, there's sometimes we don't give thanks, not because we're hard-hearted or disobedient, but we just don't see it. We don't see it. And when we see it, then we say, oh, I'm thankful for that. I'm grateful for that. 
So it occurred to me that the first thing I got to do is pray, God, give me eyes to see. And I promise you, if you will pray that prayer with sincerity, the Lord will answer your prayers. And you will begin to see a host of things for which you ought to be thankful. You will have so much to thank God for. You'll wonder, how is there enough time in the day for me to stop and thank God for all that He's worthy to be thanked for? In fact, maybe one reason why we need eternity is because we just need that long to thank God as He deserves to be thanked for all the details of everything we ought to thank Him for. Let me just give you an example by showing you what the Lord helped me see in my little visit to Perkins Restaurant. So, I began by seeing that I ought to be thankful that day for the fact that he had given Steve and I life. The fact that we needed food meant we were alive. (laughs) That was a good thing. That was a really good thing. God did not need to give me life that day or this day. And it's a mercy from his hand that I am alive. Blessed be his name. I came to see that we ought to be thankful for our relative amount of health. That we ought to be thankful for things like hunger pangs. Because without hunger pangs, we wouldn't know we were hungry. And if we didn't know we were hungry, we wouldn't eat. And if we didn't eat, we would die, right? We take it for granted. God has wired this body to say, Hello, I'm hungry. Feed me. And that's a great thing, because without it, we would die. And so I saw we ought to praise Him for that. I saw that we ought to praise God for the fact that food exists, and that it works. It works. God has created things that grow up out of the ground that we put into our mouths, and they cause us to remain alive. We take this for granted, and it's a miracle. It's a miracle that God has caused the world to work this way. Cows eat grass, and they live. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I came to see that I ought to be thankful for this body that takes that food and does all kinds of weird things with it and turns it from what it was into usable material, distributes it all over my body. How does it know where the stuff's supposed to go? I don't know. But it makes my heart beat and my lungs breathe and my eyes see and my ears hear. My legs walk, my hands feel. It lets me live. Friends, we take this for granted and it's a miracle. I don't know how anybody can deny God. I just don't know how they could do it. When you just think about a simple thing like eating, how could you possibly deny that God exists indeed? It is the fool who says there is no God. This is an amazing thing right before our eyes every day. And, and most days I just totally miss it. I totally miss it. I came to thank God for the systems in the world that grow up food and harvest the food and deliver the food and prepare the food so that we can just go to places like Perkins or like Cub Foods and get all the food we need. That's amazing. It is an amazing thing that six and a half billion people have a way to get to food every single day right where they're at. I don't have to go to Canada or Mexico or Europe to get food. I could just go right down to Perkins or to the Cub Foods. And I praise God for that. I came to thank Him for the resources I had to just buy food. I didn't have to go raise money or beg. I could just walk in there and pay. And that's a mercy from God. I came to thank Him for things like chairs, tables, Plates, cups, forks, napkins. These things don't exist everywhere in the world. Not everybody uses them, and they're an immense mercy from God, aren't they? Little things we take for granted. Salt shaker, it's a, it's a mercy from God. A napkin, it's, an, it's a mercy from God. I came to see that I ought to be grateful for our waitress, Michelle. She has served me many times at Perkins. She's a great, a great waitress. And she's made in the image of God. And she has decided to spend her life serving people like us who don't deserve to be served. We think we deserve it and we don't. And I praise God for a person who would give their life to serving people like me. 
came to see that I should be thankful for the cooks and the busboys and the dishwashers who prepare my food and then clean up my mess. Think about it. You go into a restaurant, you slobber all over everything, and someone picks that up and cleans it up for you. And you could say, well, I'm paying for that. Maybe so. Maybe so. Don't take minimum wage workers for granted. They're a mercy from God. Someone wants to make their living, or at least is willing to make their living, cleaning up after us. That's an immense mercy from God. I grew up in a restaurant business, and so I came to be thankful for the managers as I thought about this last Thursday. Because I know what it takes to be a manager and make all that work and put the needs of the people before us. So that when we walk in, there's a hostess there who treats us like kings, sits us down. All of our needs are are met. The customer comes first. A manager makes all that happen, and I was deeply grateful to God for it. Beloved, I'm telling you, if you will pray for eyes to see, you will see an immense amount of things for which to be thankful to God, even in something as simple as going to Perkins. I invite you to think about it this week. I put in your study questions this week a question like that. Just think of something simple that you've done this week. Going to church, or going to the gas station, or going to the park. And sit and think and list the things for which you ought to be thankful. I'm telling you, it will blow your mind. And as you begin to see all the things for which you will be thankful, how will you be able to stop yourself from rendering thanks to God who has made it all possible and who has provided all things? It will be almost impossible for you to see this stuff and then not render Him the thanks that's due His name. So begin by praying for eyes to see and then let your mouth be released. As you do that, you will eventually overflow in thankfulness to the people around you. You will become more humble and thankful to the waitress, to the busboy, to the hostess, to the manager, to whomever deserves your thanks. True thankfulness to God always eventually spills over in thankfulness to other people. And the only reason I say eventually is because we're still sinners, right? And this is not an automatic thing. There are times when I do feel thankful to God and I fail to give thanks to other people as I ought. So it's not automatic. But what I'm saying is as you grow in seeing God in all things and giving thanks to Him for all things, you will grow in spilling out into thankfulness for other people. In our culture, this is hard because we've all bought into the idea that we're worth everything that we receive, which is not true. It makes our economy run, but it's not true. And so it'll take us time to humble ourselves before the Lord and be thankful for all things. But He will do it as we lean on the Holy Spirit. There is a divine order here. Our thanksgiving is to begin by turning our gaze toward God and then rendering thanks to Him through Jesus Christ, eventually spilling out over into other people's lives. Every time the Bible commands us to give thanks, it says give thanks to God. And I just think the Bible is so wise because it knows if we will do that in earnest, that eventually we'll, we'll spill over in love for other people. Number two, the command in Ephesians 5.20 is not only to give thanks to God as though He's abstract and distant, but it's to give thanks to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes now. Those two words, the Father. There is a sense in which God is the Father of every single human being because He created all human beings. In Acts 17, when Paul was giving his sermon, he as much said that. He said, we are all God's offspring. But, to the best of my knowledge, the Bible never uses the word Father to talk about God in that respect. When it addresses Him as the Father of all living beings, it never talks about Him as Father. It never uses that word. There is a time where it calls God the Father of the fatherless in Psalm 68.5. 
And there are four times when at the very least it implies that God is the Father of Israel. But even with Israel, we have to be careful there because it's clear that not every single person that made up the nation of Israel uh, was a child of God and that God was their father. And the reason I know that that's clear is because one day some Israelites who were Pharisees came to Jesus and claimed that God was their father. And here's how Jesus responded. This comes from John eight forty-two to 44. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. That really touched me this week. He didn't just say, you would believe in me. He said, you would love me. You would have affection for me. You would have passion for me. You would follow me. If God were your father, Pharisees, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. And then here he gets fairly heavy with them. You are, are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. So he's talking to Israelites here. And it's got to be very clear to us then that not every single person who makes up the nation of Israel then or now is fathered by God. That's got to be clear. So then in the Bible, what do we see when we look at the word father when it's used in relationship to God? How is the word father used in relationship to him? Two ways. First and foremost, by far, The word Father is used of God to describe the relationship between God and Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John alone, Jesus refers to God as His Father over 100 times. I think the exact count is 103. It's amazing. That really took my breath away when I saw that this week. In just one Gospel, Jesus calls God His Father over 100 times. The Bible, especially the Gospels, is is clear, as clear can be, that God Almighty was and is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And how I wish we had time to probe into the depths and the beauty of what that means. Hopefully some other time we will have time. But for now, let's just get that fact clear in our minds. When the Bible calls God Father, the first and foremost thing it means is that He's the Father of Jesus Christ. Number two, the Bible uses the word Father to describe the relationship between God and those who believe in Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, this is the only other way the word Father is used when it's in relationship to God. It's either describing the relationship between God and Jesus, or secondly, I think it's 54 times, it says that God is the Father of those who believe in Jesus. Which is to say, those who have come to believe that Jesus is from God, sent to atone for our sins who love Him, who follow Him, who submit their lives to Him, who live in Him and through Him and for Him. To be a Christian is to be a person who's consumed with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, if He is a peripheral part of your life, you know, you got your family, your house, your career, your Jesus over here. If that's the way He functions in your life, you're probably not a Christian. That's not how Christians think. Christians are people who have seen with their eyes that Jesus Christ is the Lord of everything. He is not just a way to make my life a little happier or a little better. He is the Lord of all. And to be a Christian is to be consumed by Him, measure by measure. I understand that none of us are perfect in this. We're all distracted. We're all sinful. I get that. But I'm just saying, Jesus Christ, if He is not the dominant force in your life, the sun in the solar system of your life, then you're probably not a Christian. God says that for people for whom that's true, that Jesus is consuming for them, the Bible says that we are His children. And the Bible says 
that God is the Father of those people. So two ways to describe God and Jesus and to describe God and those who believe in Jesus. And when you stop to think about this, this is really a breathtaking truth, especially when as a believer, you slow down a little bit and take this personally. Take it personally that 54 times if you're in Christ, the Bible says God is your Father. God is your Father. We who once were dead in our trespasses and sins and following in the course of the world and under the dominion of Satan and deserving of the wrath of God, we have become children of God in Jesus Christ so that He's not ashamed to be called our Father. We who once were alienated from Him and were without hope and without life have become His children by believing in Jesus Christ so that He now calls us to call Him our Father. It's really an amazing thing. Just stop sometime today. Think about who you used to be before you were in Christ and who you are now that you are in Christ. And think about the fact that God Almighty, Holy, High, Exalted, Lifted Up has invited you to call Him your Father. It will take your breath away. It's no wonder that John said in 1 John 3.1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. See this love, friends. See it. He wants to unmask your eyes and allow you to see it. It's really an amazing love. And I wonder who among us can even imagine it. Who can really fathom a mercy and steadfast love so great that God would allow us to call Him our Father. I know who I was before I was in Christ, at least in some measure. I remember things that I did, evil, evil things. I know some of my sins since I've been in Christ, forsaking Jesus, rejecting Him, living as if I was my own God, spitting on the Son of God as it were every time I sinned, saying, I got this one, Jesus. I will do life my way. I will not submit to you in this There's times when I've needed to say to Jesus, forgive me, for I knew exactly what I was doing. I looked you eyeball to eyeball, and I chose to sin. And that's horrid. It's horrid. It's worse than my sin before I was in Christ, because I know Him. And that God has chosen still to call a sinner like me His child in Jesus Christ. And I just can't imagine that. That God has invited me to call Him my Father right along with Jesus Christ. And I just can't imagine that. What I want us to see, beloved, is that when Paul calls us to give thanks always and for everything, the context is God as your Father. God as your Father. This is not just a duty to a distant deity. This is God your Father. You see, it's one thing to be called to give thanks to someone from a distance who rules over you and who is above you and reigns over you and has power over you. It's a whole other thing to be called to give thanks to someone face to face who rules over you and has power over you and reigns over you and also is your Father. That's a totally different thing. It's different if you were called to give thanks to President George Bush, probably the most powerful man in the world. But give him thanks from a distance. You never see him. You never touch him. You never converse with him. You never actually know him. Give him thanks. That's one thing. It would be a whole other thing to be called to give Him thanks if He was the one who raised you and put food on the table for you and put clothes on your back and a roof over your head and took you to school and showed up at your games and picked you up when you needed to be picked up, spanked you when you needed to be spanked. He loved you. He laughed with you. He cried with you. He did life with you. Give Him thanks. 
That would be completely different. Because in that case, He's your Father. He's your Father who loves you and nurtures you and cares for you. And when Paul calls us to give thanks to God, it's thanks like that. Thanks like that. This is your Abba Father we're talking about if you are in Christ. He is the one who's given us life. He is the one who is raising us up in Christ. He is the one who is doing life with us and mourning with us and rejoicing with us and picking us up when we need that, spanking us when we need that, being a good and great and gracious Father to us in Jesus Christ. Give Him thanks. Give Him thanks. He is due that thanks. And how I pray that this truth this context in which we are to give thanks would really land on us this morning. That this is our Father we're talking about, and He is intimately affectionate for us. In fact, I think the Bible is pretty clear that those of us who are in Christ, we receive affection from God just like Christ Himself does. God the Father has tremendous affection for Christ, and when people come into Christ, all the affection He has for the Son, He now has for you who are in Christ. In that context, give Him thanks, always and for everything, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, which leads to the third point. Paul says that we're to give thanks to Him in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I wonder, why in the name? Not just here, but all over the place. Why are we commanded to give thanks and pray in the name of Jesus Christ? What is that all about? Well, certainly, it's not because the words in the name of Jesus Christ are magic, right? People can't just go around uttering that phrase in the name of Jesus Christ like it's a coin to put in the vending machine of God, and any time you put it in the vending machine, out pops what you want. It's not magic at all. Quite the opposite. To use those precious words in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ is a way of humbling ourselves by acknowledging and remembering the fact that we only come to God the Father through Jesus Christ. May we never forget it. May we never forget it. Here's what John said in 1 John 2.23 and 5.12. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And then in 5.12, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The reason then that we give thanks in the name of Jesus and pray in the name of Jesus and sing in the name of Jesus and study in the name of Jesus, serve in the name of Jesus, live our lives in the name of Jesus is because He is the only way to God the Father. And everything we have, we have in Him. In Him. Without Him, we would have nothing. And so, we give thanks in His name. Those precious words, in the name of Jesus Christ, are a way of humbling ourselves and acknowledging and remembering the fact that only Christ is the way to God. They're a way of saying, Father, I know You've made a way for me to come into Your presence, and I acknowledge, I honor that way. I come in the name of Jesus Christ, and in His name only. Beloved, not one of us, in fact, not one human being who has ever lived, has seen the fullness of the wonder of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Believe me, that's true. No one has seen the fullness of what the Father has done for us in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.3 says, to me this is the key sentence in the whole book, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then in my view, the book goes on to fill that sentence up and to show us what that sentence means and to show us that that sentence is true. God the Father has, past tense, blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And the way that it has all happened to us is indeed in Christ. I counted it this week. I found 40 times in the book of Ephesians where some form of that term in Christ is used. In Christ, in Him, through Jesus, in the Beloved, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. 40 times in 6 chapters. It's stunning to me what God the Father has done for us in Jesus Christ. In fact, I want to invite you this week. If you would take the book of Ephesians, it's only six chapters, just peruse it real quick. Maybe only take you about 30 minutes. And notice what God the Father has done for us in Christ. Just write it down. I promise you, if you'll do that prayerfully, it will take your breath away. It is really stunning to begin to meditate on the depth of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And as we do that and see what He's done for us, friend, it will be no chore to pray in the precious name of Jesus. It will be our highest joy and our highest privilege to say, Father, I come not on my own merits. I come not directly to You as though that's possible. I come not through Buddha, Muhammad, through any other way. I come to You in and through Jesus Christ. Oh, as you see what God the Father has done, friends, by studying and meditating and thinking about the Bible, this will be a high, high, high joy for you. It will be a great privilege. When we give thanks to God, we are to give thanks to Him. And He has become our Father through Jesus Christ. Since it all happened through Christ, it only makes sense that we should give thanks in His name. I think That's the main reason why we give thanks in the name of Jesus. Never forget that all the blessing you have from God comes through Jesus Christ. Don't ever let yourself forget that. That's crucial. It's probably the key to remaining a thankful person throughout your life to God, that everything that you have came to you through Christ. Now, in light of everything I've said, number four, this is the last point, I want to go back to this phrase, always and for everything, and I want to say a few words about that word for. Because the word for has really been troubling me over the last three weeks. I can imagine what it means to give thanks in everything to God. In fact, several times the Bible says that. Give thanks in everything. But I have grappled with God and with several of you about what in the world does this mean to give thanks for everything? What is God calling us to do here? Is God saying, be thankful for things like natural disasters, like rape, like infidelity, like murder, like disease, like all kinds of suffering that we and other people in the world endure? Are we to give thanks for those things in and of themselves? Is that what He's saying? Or is there some other way to read this that makes sense of what He's saying in light of the whole Bible? Well, here it's important to learn two lessons, really crucial lessons that have to do with how to interpret the Bible, how to read the Bible. And the first lesson is this. Let Scripture be the interpreter of Scripture, right? You never take a verse on its own, out of context, and just try to discover what it means. That's how heresies develop. That's why Mormons baptize themselves for dead people, because they take one obscure verse that they totally misunderstand, and they build an entire theology, entire buildings, all these genealogical systems over a misinterpretation of one verse. That's a big problem. 
And we do the same thing too. Maybe not to that scale, but we can do the same thing too. So remember, let Scripture interpret Scripture. When you look at the whole of Scripture, here's a couple things that you see that help you, help you interpret what it means to give thanks for everything. First of all, this is the only place in the entire Bible, and I know because I looked, so I'll say it with confidence. It's the only place in the whole Bible where it says give thanks for everything. Otherwise, it says give thanks in everything several times. You don't take one verse that says something and build a whole theology on that one thing. You have to take it with like verses and interpret them together with each other. So the first thing that I would see is many other places, well, at least several other places, it says give thanks in everything and not for everything. The other thing is, when you look at the totality of the Scripture, it just cannot be that God is calling us to give thanks for evil things. Because God hates evil, right? In the Bible, it's really clear. Good is good and evil is evil and God hates evil. He hates the darkness. With all of His heart, He hates it. And there's just no way in the world that He could be calling us to give thanks to Him for things that He abhors. That cannot be. I I just can't imagine saying to Rachel, I hate this, but I want you to thank me for it. I I can't imagine it in itself. In itself. And God cannot be saying that to us. In, in the Bible, you will search in vain to see Job or Paul or David or Jesus or anybody giving thanks for evil things in and of themselves. You will see them everywhere giving thanks in evil circumstances, in difficult things, but never for the thing itself. God, I thank you that Judas is evil and that he betrayed me. Jesus never spoke like that and he would not speak like that. We cannot give thanks in themselves for things that God abhors. It just, it just can't be possible. So, what do we do then? It says, give thanks for everything. What do we do? Here's where lesson number two comes in. This is maybe a little bit more of a specific lesson. Be careful with prepositions. When you're interpreting the Bible, be careful with prepositions. That's lesson number two. Prepositions are probably the most difficult thing in the Bible to deal with when you come to interpretation. And they are certainly the most difficult thing to deal with when you come to translation. Different languages conceive how they use prepositions differently. Words like for, to, over, against, on, upon. Kim's a Spanish teacher. She'll vouch for this. In Spanish, they say things in a different way than we say things, especially with prepositions, because they think differently. So when you're putting... Uh, the Bible from one language into another, it's difficult sometimes to get the fullness of the meaning over into English, and there can be problems with the translation of the preposition. So, if you come across a verse like this, and the thing in a verse that troubles you, or even disturbs you, is the preposition, then please start by assuming that there's something wrong with the way you're understanding the preposition, or the way that it was translated from one language to another. Because most often that is the problem. If we had more time, I'd show you 10 or 12 examples just to be clear about what I'm saying. We don't have time, so let me just cut to the chase about this verse. The word that is translated for here is huper in the Greek. Huper. And literally it means in behalf of. So if we were to be really literal, it would say give thanks always and in behalf of everything. Now, I don't know how better to put that into English except the word for. I'm not sure that there is a better word. But the thing I want you to see here is when you look at the word huper in the context of the Greek language, and I spent quite a bit of time this week doing that so I could be confident about what I'm about to say, it does not necessarily mean that you give thanks for a thing 
in itself as though the thing that you're giving thanks for is good when God calls it evil. It does not have to mean that. This word can and most often does mean that you give thanks for a thing in the sense that I give thanks to God for what He's doing through the thing. You see that? So some evil comes into my life. I don't give thanks to God for the evil itself. Thank you that that murder happened. No! God hates murder. Do not murder, He says. I don't give thanks for the murder. But I give thanks to God because He's wise and He's good and He makes all things, even evil things, work together for the glory of His name and the good of those who love Him. So I give thanks to God for everything in the sense that I thank Him that He's great and gracious and so powerful that He can take things He abhors and make good come out of it. So we give thanks for everything by exercising faith in God that He's greater than these things. He will get us through these things. He will glorify Himself in these things. And in the end, even though it all seemed crazy to us at the time, and maybe in our lifetimes, we never even understood what God was up to. I promise you, Abraham never got what God was doing in asking him to sacrifice Isaac. Have you ever thought about that? He waited decades. He finally gets Isaac in his life. And God, after 14 years of living with the promised child, says, Okay, Abraham, been a good 14 years. Now I want you to take a knife and take your son and go up and sacrifice him to me. Abraham had grown to a place in his life where he did not question God. He got his horse, he got his servant, and off they went. And praise be to the name of God, he stopped Abraham just before he could kill Isaac. Now what in the world was that all about? Abraham never knew. He never knew. But we know that was a symbol of God Almighty offering His Son Jesus Christ on the altar. The affection he had for Jesus was far and above what Abraham felt for Isaac. And that little scene was a prophecy of what God would do for us in Christ. And Abraham never saw it, but he trusted the Father. So what does it mean to give thanks always and for everything? Friends, it means have faith in your Father. Have faith in Him. You may never understand why God has allowed certain things to happen in your life. Believe in Him. Trust in Him. Hope in Him. Give thanks to Him before you see it with your eyes. Because I promise you, if you are in Christ, I promise you, one day, you will see Him face to face. He will remove the veil from you. And you will see the wisdom of all that He has done. For some reason, our Father, it pleases Him to hide things from us. And maybe one of the main reasons is so that we grow in faith and grow in trust of Him. So that's my final word to you this morning. When you have to give thanks for everything, and that's a difficult thing, friend, just exercise faith. Trust in your Father. Come to Him through Jesus Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He will enable you to do what you cannot do. You remember um, a few months ago, I can't remember how long it's been now, there was that family that got in an accident and their children were killed in the accident. Several of their children. I saw him on the news and he gave thanks to God before the whole Twin Cities because God is faithful. And I thought to myself, how did He do that? He was so sincere. And there's a couple of you in the church that actually know Him. He was sincere. How did He do that? I'll tell you how He did it. By the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how. And so it will be with you. Lean on Him. The grace you need to give thanks will be there when you need to give thanks. Trust your Father. 
Trust your Father. And so I want to close with Philippians 4, 4 to 7. This is such a familiar verse. In fact, can I just ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Let's hear this prayerfully. Let me just read it in prayer. Father, we have heard this verse so many times. Please make it real to us now, God. Please make these words jump off the page for us now. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Father, we rest ourselves in that promise that if we will, in fact, by faith, come to You through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and let our requests be made known to You with thanksgiving, You will answer our prayers and give us the peace of Christ to guard our hearts from fear and to guard our minds from doubt. And You will guard us in Christ so that our faith will endure so that our hope will endure, so that our ability to give thanks to You will endure. You will do for us what we cannot do for, your, for ourselves. And how I pray, Father, that You would cause us who are Your children to come to You in that way. How I pray that we would come humbly, especially those of us who are suffering right now and just don't even know how to come to You. Oh, Father, give us the strength we need to come. You want us to come. Give us the faith to trust that You know what You're doing. And in Your name, Father, we will give You great praise. As You pour out Your mercy upon us, we will give You the praise that is due to Your name. So please answer this prayer in the great and gracious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Will You please stand with me and sing our closing song. Father, because of Your mercy in Jesus Christ, we are thankful. And we will forever be thankful. And how I pray that You would help us in this respect. God, please give us eyes to see this day. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive all the things for which we should be grateful. Give us mouths that are willing to speak it out. And give us mouths that are willing to say with joy, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father, I give you thanks always and for everything. Oh God, please do this. We are helpless in ourselves, but with you all things are possible. And so, in advance of seeing how you will do this, we give you thanks and we give you praise by faith. And now may the Lord, great and merciful, bless you and keep you and make His glorious face to shine upon you. May He lift up His countenance over you and give you hope and joy and peace and a heart of thanksgiving. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You are dismissed.